0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spoonieberger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Barker with this week's message from Story Point. Several weeks ago, I was with a handful of pastors. I did not know any of them. We were strangers, put into the same room for a couple of days or same place for a couple of days. And it was about the second night um, we were sitting around talking, and I and I had this thought. Maybe you've had this thought. My thinking was, man, I really like these people. Right now, you might have had the other thought, man, I really don't like these people. I've had that thought sometimes too. But I, I, as I was thinking about it, I was going, man, these people are the kind of people that you just want to hang out with like for a long extended period of time. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like the, the, the atmosphere, the conversation, the presence of being with somebody is so sweet, it's so enticing that you just don't want it to end. And so I went down a rabbit trail and I started to ask myself, why do I like these guys so much and I just met them? Like, like, why do I? It, it, why am I experiencing this? this sense of weird, um, um, uh, just contentment and 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 pleasure in in a relationship that's barely there, but, but it's like it's like we we've known each other forever. What is it about these people, that that is so enticing? Because I want to be that person to somebody else, and so then I, I was thinking about all the other people that I feel the same way about. Because, you know, there are people in your life where you just want to be with them as much as possible, right? You just love hanging out with them. And, and here's what I came up with. These guys were genuinely kind. They weren't pretending to be kind. They were genuinely kind. That kindness was shown in extreme hospitality. Like when I tell you they were hospitable, I mean to tell you it was over-the-top hospitality. These guys' conversation was truly seasoned with grace and salt. And when I look back, and, and I'm, I'm doing all this in the middle of this you know, conversation with these guys. As I look back, their conversation was not much about them, it was about me. Not that I was the center of the room, but when we were talk, when I was talking to them individually the first couple of days, they were wanting to know about me. They were wanting to know what God was doing in my life. It wasn't about them telling me about all their accomplishments. And these these some of these guys were, I mean, their accomplishments were huge, especially compared to mine. And I'm thinking, these guys should not be even in the same room with me. And yet they're serving. They're gentle, they're humble, they're kind. And it was really throwing me for a loop because as I thought back for all the people in my life that, I, that, that had that same kind of feeling with, they all had the same qualities. You know what I'm talking about? Are we tracking here? And the one thing that encapsulated all of those qualities was love. They genuinely loved other people it was evident, it was, it was, there was no mistaking that they loved the other people in the room without selfishness and without reservation. And you know, today I'm finishing up the series on the, the four ways that we leave a legacy, right? To just kind of recap, the first week we talked about leaving a legacy through our words. What we say really does matter. And by the way, a legacy is the fruit of your life. It's what you leave behind after you're gone. It's, it's the, 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 the relationships and the way that you've impacted people, either positively or negatively, because we all leave an impact. It'll either be a good, godly impact, or it'll be a negative, harmful, damaging uh, impact. And so, the, wo- the words that we use, that's how we leave a legacy. The second week, we talked about the deeds. What we do leads it leaves a legacy, The third week, last week, we said our wealth, what we do with our wealth leaves a legacy. And I don't know if you remember this, but wealth is not just money in the bank. Wealth is a totality of all your possessions. It's what you own. It's your vehicles, your toys, your house, your your stuff. It's everything God has entrusted to you as, as the steward over these things. And as I think back on my own life, I think back of the ways that God has used my stuff either for His purposes or He wanted to and I wasn't obedient, right? And so that leaves a legacy. But today is the engine or the, the guts or the power, if you will, behind all of those other three. See, I can speak to someone and, and, and speak words of life to someone and not love them. And you might have had this happen. Where somebody says something to you and you're like, oh, man, that was great. Thanks for sharing that. So you leave the room, you forget something, so you come back. But before you turn around the corner, they're talking to somebody else about you. You ever had that happen? Awkward, right? A little weird, right? That's because they were speaking these words to you probably without love. You can speak words without love. And you can fool other people some of the time, maybe most of the time. But without love... Um, those words really are just, they're just words. You can do things without love. We have all kinds of motivations for what we do, right? We have the motivations of, it makes me feel good. Now, we do things for the poor. We do things for the the desperate. We do things for the, we we call them the underprivileged or underserved or whatever terminology we use. And a lot of times we do that because it makes us feel good. That's not the right motive. We don't do that because it makes us feel, we shouldn't do it because it makes us feel good, and we shouldn't do it because we feel sorry for them. Even that's the wrong motive. Pity is really, in, not always, but in some ways a form of self-righteousness. I pity you. You don't have what I have. It makes me feel bad for you. So I'm going to give you a little bit to make me feel better and maybe hope to to move you out of whatever condition you're in, at least for just the day. Again, I'm I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to say this is an exposing of the true motives behind some of the things we do. We can speak, and there not be love. We can do, right, and there not be love. We can even spend our wealth, and there not be love. We can do all those things without love, but here's the cool thing. If we love, we cannot not speak. If we love, we cannot not do. And if we love, we cannot not use our wealth for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people. See, one of them you can do without the other, but one of them you can't do without the other. Love ties everything together in fact first corinthians 13 turn in your bibles if you will to luke chapter 10 that's where we're going to wind up let me just share this with you real quick so go to luke chapter 10 but let me tell you let me show you what luke uh first corinthians says says if i speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love i am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that it can move mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. All the way down to the end, he says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the engine for all that we do in leaving a legacy. And I would say to you this, if you do things, if you say things, if you use your wealth in good ways but you don't love people, you're not going to impact people the way that God has designed for you to impact. You're not going to leave the legacy that God would have you leave and even that you would want to leave. But if you discover... The true meaning of loving everybody always. That'd make a heck of a title for a book. Okay, those of you who are laughing know that it is the title of a book. Bob Goth, I recommend it. You buy it today and read it today. You won't be able to put it down today. Everybody always. The title is true. God's call to us is to love everybody always. And I'm going to jump, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of let the cat out of the bag here. If you're wrestling with being disappointed with people, learn to love people and you won't be nearly as disappointed. If you wrestle with anger for people, learn to love people and you won't be angry. At least you won't stay angry. If you wrestle with with any human emotion, if you put on love towards other people, that will cover over all the other emotions. Now listen, it's not a magic bullet that you never have to wrestle with those things, but at the end of the day, if you genuinely, truly love all people, it will solve most of your emotional feelings and problems. This is a cool thing. Why? Because love conquers all. Let's go to the Scripture. Jesus is talking with the crowd, and one of the men in the crowd speaks up. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Then an expert in the law. He was a lawyer. He was a Pharisee. He was the guy who knew what the book said, right? He was the teacher. He was the one that people would come to when they had questions about what they should do in their spiritual life, how they should relate to God. And he was, he was the guru, if you will. The expert in the law stood up and said to Jesus, he tested him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here was the true question. What things must be done? What deeds do I have to accomplish in order to inherit eternal life? Now, the Jewish concept of eternal life was life everlasting. It was the concept of of maybe dying physically, but living forever. It It was this promise that they believed in from God. And Jesus answered with a question. He always does that, doesn't he? He answers a question with a question. Let's just kind of take a little trail here. Why does he do that and why should we do that? Because the best way to listen to someone is to clarify what they're actually saying. When you ask a question, you're trying to dig out of them what they're really thinking and what they're really saying... Not Now, some people will use this to manipulate others. Jesus did this because he wanted to get to the root of what was going on in their heart. And not maybe so much that he wanted to, but so that they could get to the root of what's going on in their heart. When you ask good questions of people, you give them the, uh, the opportunity to speak clearly what they're trying to say, what they're wanting to say, what they're needing to say. So Jesus asked them, what is written in the law and how do you read it? So in other words, he said, you're the lawyer, what does the law say? How do you read it? Now, why would he say that? Because the Shema, or, or what, 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 what he is going to answer, was known as the Shema. It was the, the one thing that every Jew would have known. They would have read it in the morning. They would have read it in the evening. It would have been written all over their house. By the way, another little rabbit trail. got to have a lot of those today. Just bear with me. If you want to truly have a house that, um, that, that that just exudes peace, one of the things that I've noticed, houses that are peaceful are houses that have Scripture all through the house. Have you noticed that? Have you, have you happened to notice that? Go, go back and just kind of notice that. Houses that there's Scripture all over the house, you know, plaques or whatever, it tends to be a house, I think, usually more of a peaceful house. And here's why I think so. Because God, God's word does not come back void. That's why God told the Jews that they were to recite this and to write it on their on their doorframes, to write it over their house. They were to recite it when they got up and when, when they went to bed. Because he wanted the scripture to be a part of them, right? So here's what the teacher of the law said. He said the, what's known as the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." Jesus responds to the Pharisee, to the expert, to the lawyer. He said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now here is where we have a little bit of uh, of trouble. He answered correctly. He knew the right words. He knew what was supposed to be done. And he thought that he was doing it. And what Jesus was doing was trying to get to the heart of the matter and help him see that he thought something that was not a reality in his life. The Pharisee felt like he was righteous because he said the right things. He recited the right things. He did the right things. He had the right actions. He used his money for the right ways because Pharisees had certain laws that they were supposed to give a certain amount of law. And so... He was doing all that he was supposed to be doing, but Jesus was trying to help him see that that was not enough to inherit eternal life. Eternal life comes to only to those who love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength, and who loves others just the same. You say, well, wait a minute. How do you get that? Well... Here's how. Look at the Ten Commandments. How many are there? Ten. That's why they're called Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments are split into two different categories. The first four are how we love, how do we love God? The last six are how do we love each other. So when Jesus answered the Pharisee, this is the most important commandment, and that's another passage in Mark, he said, he was asked, what's the most important commandment? And out of the commandments, he goes, oh, that's easy love God, love people. Because love God, love people is keep the Ten Commandments. And so when Jesus said to the Pharisee, do this and you will live, he was saying if you love God with every fiber of your body and if you love people with every fiber of your body, you can be saved. You can inherit eternal life. Obviously the correct answer is this. Nobody does that. Nobody. Let me prove it to you. Think of a politician in your head. Do you love them? Okay, think of another one. Do you love him, or her, or whoever? I mean, it, you only have to go through three politicians before you realize there's somebody you really don't love. You have to repent for all the things that you thought you hope would happen to them, right? You hope they get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? You know, whatever, whatever. By the way, why is it always a bus? It's funny, anyways. So, the the... The idea that Jesus was saying to the Pharisee was, and again, you have to read between the lines, the Pharisee thought he was good enough. Jesus was saying, you're not good enough because you don't truly love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Let me tell you what that kind of love is like. It's an agape kind of love. The word agape is the word that is used for the love that God has for you. It is an unconditional, it is an irreplaceable, it is a depth and a width and a height of love that cannot be ever, ever be put into words. It is the kind of love that is selfless in every possible way. Do you love God like that? He's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your heart, not 98%, not 99.8%, 100% of every fiber in your body, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all of your strength, every part of me loves God. No, because we're human. We have that sinful nature. Jesus is exposing in this Pharisee that he falls short of God's love or excuse me, he falls short of the kind of love that God has for us and that God expects from us, not just for God. Listen, it's pretty easy to love God when you think about all that He's done and all that He is. It's really not hard to love God at all. It's that second part that gets us. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're like, well, that's fine. I have really good neighbors. I do love them. No, no, I'm not talking about that neighbor. I'm talking about the other neighbor. I'm talking about the neighbor that plays music late into the night. And I'm play, talking about the neighbor that likes his natty light a little too much and likes to likes to go on these rants and raves. I'm talking about the neighbor who looks over the fence and complains about your dog. I'm talking about the neighbor who's just flat out mean, just a snake. Jesus said, "Love your neighbor as yourself with an unconditional, selfless agape, Christ-like kind of love. Oh, by the way, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. The kind of love that God had for you was that His Son died so that you could be made right with God. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend, but God laid down, Jesus laid down his life not for friends, but for enemies, because the book of Romans says that you and I were enemies to God because of our sin. In fact, we weren't just enemies, but we were dead in our sin. I mean, if we, if we kept going down this road, we would realize that we were in desperate shape, and God said, I love you anyways. Do you realize that you could stand up before God, you could curse Him, you could use any physical gesture you wanted to use, you could do any type of profane language you wanted to use, you could be as awful and as unkind and as ungracious as you possibly could be, and it would not move the needle of God's love for you one single bit. Have your neighbor do that to you. Right? So the standard... Cannot be met, which is why we need grace. This is the whole point of this passage. The Pharisee thought he was good enough, and Jesus said, "You gotta this perfect, perfect kind of love is what God expects." And the Pharisee, though, we know that he thought he was pretty good because the very next thing he says was, "So who is my neighbor? Just, just who are you talking about? Love your neighbor. I, I love God. I mean, obviously, I love God, but my neighbor." pretty sure I love my neighbor. Who do you think my neighbor is? And so Jesus tells the story. He tells a story that we know as the Good Samaritan. That title alone would have been a contradiction of terms for the Pharisee. Because a Samaritan was a half breed. If you go to a pound and you look for a dog, very rarely do people say, you know what, I want a mutt. I want a mixed breed that's kind of a mixture, a hodgepodge of every kind of breed there is, right? A lot of times people are like, I want a purebred. I want one solid, strong dog with papers. Maybe not the pound, but I mean, you know, people, here's the thing. A Samaritan to the Jews was worse than a Gentile. Now, remember, you have Jews who were people who were Israelites. You have the Gentiles who were not Jewish in any way whatsoever. A Samaritan was truly a half-breed. It was when a Gentile and a Jew made a baby. So they were neither one or the other. They were kind of like a, in fact, this is not my saying. This is their saying. The Pharisees used to say, dear God, thank you. You're going to love this one. Dear God, thank you that you have made me neither a woman nor a Samaritan. That's what they felt about people, right? Again, that's not what we think, but that's what they thought. So this Samaritan being in the story was a really wild card. Jesus said, there's a man who went on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Verse 30. And he fell into the hands of robbers. The robbers stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. So this man was probably uh, was probably a Jew, because he, he was he was talking to a Jewish crowd. So they would have assumed automatically this was a Jewish man walking down the road. Now again, it's just a parable. We don't know that for sure, but most likely, you know, when you hear a story, you picture the person like you, right? So they're going, okay, the man's walking. I get that because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very dangerous road. It's very steep. There are some places to hide. There are rock ledges and there are cliffs and caves. And so it's a a road that you don't go alone. You always bring a crowd and you try to always bring a weapon or somebody really strong, right? Because this is a common occurrence. So Jesus said this man was going down the road and he was beaten and he was stripped and he was his possessions were taken and he was left half dead. And I was reminded of a joke there in first Baptist, so I'll tell you. There was a guy, a husband and a wife who were having some trouble. They decided they were gonna split. The woman was so upset about it that she went to a uh, uh, she went on a hike all by herself. She found a cave and she went into the cave and she found a lamp. And so she said, Could it be? She rubbed the lamp and a genie came out. She's like, oh my goodness, I've only seen this in the movies. And the genie said, I will give you three wishes. The only catch is, everything I give you, I will give double to your husband. She goes, okay, I'll do that. First wish, I want a million dollars. It is as you wish, and two million dollars goes to her husband. Second wish, I want to look gorgeous. Boom, she looks gorgeous. Husband, doubly gorgeous. And she goes, third one, this one's a tough one. I want you to beat me half to death. (laughs) I couldn't resist. These are the things that go through my mind when I'm preaching, just so you'll know. My mind is full of that every single part of the sermon. What is half dead anyways? Half dead means you're you're basically clinging on to life. Had somebody not rescued him, he would have died. And Jesus said there was a Pharisee, or priest, who came down, and as he happened to be going down the road, he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. He did that old walk around kind of thing, right? Pretend not to see. He passed by on the other side. And then a Levite came through, and again, he passed by on the other side. What Jesus was communicating was this. Who should have known the law? The priest and the Levite. The Levite. They were schooled in the Old Testament law. They knew what the law required. They knew because Leviticus tells them that if there is an alien or a stranger in their midst, they are to treat them as family. Now, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but how you treat the alien and stranger makes a difference to God. What you do with those who nobody else wants makes a difference to God. That's what it means to love everybody always. Let me tell you, this, this should flip our thought all the way upside down. It should make us look at people differently. Because the Samaritan, or the, the Jew, the, the Pharisee and the priest, they knew, or the Pharisee and the Levite, the Levite was basically an associate priest. He was a helper. Both of them knew what the law said to do, but they chose not to do it for whatever reason. But then the Samaritan, the half-breed, the one who shouldn't have known what to do, the Bible says that he saw the man, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Oh, if we need anything today, it's compassion. You know what compassion is? It's an expression of true love to people. It's not pity. It's not oh I just feel bad for you oh I, I want I, I want you to have this dollar compassion means that you are putting yourself in their shoes you are empathizing in a way that you're feeling what they're feeling you're getting what they're getting you're understanding where they are and you are putting yourself eye to eye not as a, I'm a rescuer and you're the fallen but hey I am a fellow human being, and I'm going to choose to walk with you out of this pit or out of this situation. That's what compassion is. Compassion might be the greatest expression of love. When Jesus saw the crowds in in Matthew, I believe it was chapter 9, He saw the crowds, they were helpless, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. The Bible says He had compassion on them. His heart broke for them, again, because he wanted them to find something different. The Samaritan had compassion. It should have been the religious people. It should have been the people who knew better, but it wasn't. He's had compassion on him. And the Bible says that he took him and he put him on his donkey after he bandaged his wounds. He put oil and and wine on them. He put him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day, so he brought him to the inn and probably stayed in the room with him. This is, again, it's a parable, it's a story, but the idea is he brought him to the room and he nurtured him. He took care of him all through the night. The next day, he went to the innkeeper and he said, here's two denarii. Take care of him and if there's anything that you have to spend over and above what I've given you, when I come back through, I'll pay it. Now, two denarii, if you, if you consider the amount that he gave him, would have provided an inn for three weeks up to a couple of months, depending on the quality of the hotel, basically. Uh, Joshua stayed in the hotel last week. Uh, he and I went hunting together, and we met, met in, in Missouri. And he got there a day early, and so he got a hotel room. And in true Spoonie Barger fashion, he just found the cheapest possible place, which happened to be a motel with a number on it. He said that he was unloading the truck, and as people were hanging over the rails, and he said all of a sudden it was just sketch. He said, Dad, I'm telling you, I don't get scared, but I was scared. He said he went into the room, he double locked the door, and we were going to bow hunt, so he took his bow out of the case, knocked an arrow, and put another one by his side, and he made a plan of how he could get two off if they broke into the house to hurt. I mean, I'm going, man, what in the heck were you doing? But Dad, it was cheaper. I saved four bucks. <laughs> good job, son. That's the way to go. I mean, sketch. So, so some some hotels, some motels would have been cheap. Some of them would have been crazy. You know, a few. But the bottom line is this. He said, "Look, it doesn't matter what it cost. I'm going to provide for his needs." And then Jesus dropped the hammer. Jesus said, "So tell me, out of these three, which one was the good neighbor?" And the Pharisee said it was a Samaritan. He would have choked on those words, by the way. He would have choked on those words. They had racial issues with Samaritans. They didn't like them. They wished they would all be sunk in the ocean. I mean, it was awful. And he said it was the Samaritan, right? He had to push it out. And Jesus said, you're right. Basically, go and be like the Samaritan. The whole point of the story was this. Love everybody always. So let's bring this all the way back to why we're talking about legacy. If we try to leave a legacy and yet we're not a person that loves people, our legacy is going to fall short. God's command to you and to me... The standard is this, to love God with every fiber of our body and to love people with the same kind of love. And notice that what Jesus was saying in the story is this, we don't just love the people who are easy to love. All of us can love people who are easy to love. Some people are just easy. Some people are so hard to love, right? Sometimes they're in our own family, right? Sometimes they're neighbors. Sometimes they're enemies. What does the Bible say about, G- about how we're supposed to treat our enemies? He said, that, he said look, if, if you're asked by a soldier to, to, uh, uh, to give you a, a, a tunic or carry a cloak, you're supposed to, for one mile, you're supposed to do it for two miles. If you're asked for your, for your jacket, give them two. If you're slapped in the face, turn the other cheek. It's not that you're a punching bag. It's Jesus is trying to remind us, look, Loving people is not always easy, but it's always right. Loving people always requires selflessness, and it requires seeing people for who they really are and loving them anyways, because that's what God did for you. You say, well, how can I love people? I mean, how can I love people that are unlovable? How can I love an enemy? You know that... In the culture that we live in today, we are so polarized that the love of many has grown cold. Matter of fact, that's how we know we're in the last days because Jesus said the love of many is going to grow cold. Men will be selfish and, and all this other list of stuff. Don't let your love grow cold, right? How do you not let it grow cold? You see people the way God sees them. Our society is so polarized and it's crazy. People who loved each other Before, because of politics, because of medicine, because of all these other things, we've suddenly made enemies of them, and we've chosen not to love them. Now, you didn't say, I choose not to love them, but actions speak louder than words. When you end a friendship because there's a different political opinion, that might be a problem. When you end a friendship because they have a different medical opinion... That might be a problem. When you demonize somebody because they say something that you take out of context and then you start spreading that out of context, you're knowing that it is, but it's proving your own point or whatever, that is a problem because Jesus said you don't have the luxury of ever being unkind. He didn't say those exact words, but that's what he taught in the word. He didn't say you he he, he never said. He said, "You don't have the luxury of not loving everybody." And here's the cool part. That's really not a luxury. That's a a handicap. Because when you love people, the world is just different. When you love people, that means that you're giving them grace. Because out of love comes grace. Out of love comes kindness. Out of love comes gentleness. Out of love comes perseverance. Out of love comes generosity, out of love comes hospitality. Everything that we want to be comes out of love. So how do you love? Only God can change your heart. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because god or because love is from god and everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god the one who does not love does not know god because god is love how do you love everybody always you sit with god you allow the love of god to permeate every single corner of your heart. That means that it's a conversation. It is a God speaking to you about areas that you have to deal with and you confessing and repenting and making it right so that you can be right with God and be right with others. Now, I get it. It is not always easy. It's not easy for me, and I know it's not easy for you either. But what God said was His love for us supersedes or overcomes anything we could hold against someone else. He goes on to say this. God's love is revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists of this. Love Uh, Not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. So here's the bottom line. We can love other people because we realize that God has loved us. Now, just time out. I know what you're saying. Love does not mean that you just overlook flagrant sin. It doesn't mean that you give everybody a pass. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences and that there's no discipline. That No. Love actually is truth. Love is, is partnered with truth. You can never separate the two. If you take away truth, you can't really love because love really exposes truth. And so all this idea of, well, they don't deserve a past. No, they probably don't. But at the same time, justice does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. So you have to love them the way Jesus loved them, which sometimes mean doing things that you don't want to do, either kindly or, or, or one way. Does that make sense? It's kind of hard to put words. So, so don't get this idea of, you're, I'm just going to be soft and I'm just going to let everybody get away with everything. That's not love. Love is seeing people the way God sees them, valuing them the way God values them. Seeing them as a creation that has fallen. Seeing seeing them as one who needs grace just like you needed grace. And that's how you can love people when you realize that God has first loved you. That was the Pharisee's problem. He thought that he had God's love because of what he did and it had nothing to do with what he did. It had everything to do with the character of God. God doesn't love you for what you do, He loves you because that's His character. You and I should not love others because of what they do. We should love them because that's our character. And when you start loving people this way, the love of God is made complete in you. That's what 1 John says. I'm telling you, love solves every problem that you have, it really does. There's so much more that I want to say, so much we could say, but let's just kind of bring this puppy down, okay? (sighs) Love is a choice. It's a daily choice. And love requires that you look past a person's sin or a person's offense and choose to see the best in them the best of what God has put in them and when you do that you become the kind of person I talked about in the very beginning the kind of person that people just want to sit with and spend time with because you are a life giver not a life taker you choose amen so This morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your first step is trusting Him. God loves you, we know that, but you are dead in your sin. You have no chance at being good enough to have eternal life. The Bible says that not only are you dead, but again, you're enemies to God. But God demonstrated His own love for us and that even though, even while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Put your name in there. Jesus Christ hung on a cross. He shed His blood. He had a crown of thorns pressed into His skull. He gave His life as a sacrifice for your sin. You say, well, why would that have to happen? Because the Bible tells us that the only thing that can atone For the vial of sin is blood. It's life for life. And it was only through His death could He give you a chance at forgiveness. So, I don't know God directly. I know God through His Son. Because Jesus is the mediator. He's the bridge. Does that make sense? The Bible tells, that tells us there's one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. You have no chance without Jesus, according to the Bible. But with Jesus, He rescues you, He saves you, and He begins to what we know as sanctify you. He begins to take out all of the junk in your life, and He transforms you into a person that reflects the image of who He is And the best way to understand that is that in you, He gives you the Spirit of God, which means that the fruit of the Spirit becomes part of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things come from God's Spirit inside of you. Which was the first one, by the way? Love. This morning, if you're online watching, if you're watching by Blab, or if you're just here and you've never trusted Jesus, today is the day. The Bible says, how can we we escape then if we neglect such a great salvation? You might walk out of this door and you might be the one hit by a bus. If you're wrestling with your salvation, do something now. Trust in Jesus now. And let Him begin the process in your life of conforming you to the image of who He is. Will you stand with me? As you stand, I want to invite you to take a moment and just think about what God has been saying to you. Maybe there's people that you haven't loved very well and God wants you to to change that. Maybe, Maybe there's a group of people that you don't love very well and God is convicting you of that. Maybe maybe it's an ethnicity, maybe it's a a, a social status, maybe it's a political status, maybe it's uh, an affinity, who knows? But if there's anybody in your life that you haven't loved well, ask God to change your heart and ask God to do a work in you and then expect that He will. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness. I pray that today you would give us a clear understanding that you have rescued us from such a miry pit. God, you have given us hope and life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have changed us and you are changing us, making us mature and and complete in your love. Father, I ask that you would help us to respond to you now in Jesus' name, amen.